0: We're going to start today's show with a little giveaway. So it's been a while since we've done this and uh, the guys over at Fat Grips hit me up and we're ready to give away some more Fat Grips. So if you guys don't know what Fat Grips are, F-A-T-G-R-I-P-Z, just like gains with a Z, Fat Grips are a pair of rubber, I guess, handles, really, um, that you throw on literally anything in the gym. You can throw them on TRX, you can throw them on kettlebell, barbell, um, a sled, dumbbells whatever you want but the main point of them and and actually side tangent I actually have been using these a ton for my band resisted work so I'm a big fan of bands without the handles right like I hate those shitty band resistant bands that you buy with the handles on the end of them I don't like those I like the super bands like that um, elite FTS sales and these are the ones that are literally just one huge rubber band there's no end to it it's just a big loop These are the best, in my opinion, no matter what you're trying to do. Band pull-aparts, band curls, band presses, um, walking, lateral walks with bands, um, hip abductions, anything like that. I believe that bands without an end are always going to be the best bands, and they usually last the longest as well, and they have the highest resistance. But there becomes an issue when we're trying to do rows, and they just tear apart your hands. So what I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of band rows, whether it's seated rows, um, half-kneeling rows, pull-down rows, anything like that because I don't have a cable machine in my garage gym and I don't want to buy one. So I've been buying bands and I strap the fat grips to them and it makes rowing so much better. On top of that, I can create way more tension within my row. So now instead of having a little dinky band in my grip, I can actually crush something which creates more tension, which is one of my favorite things about fat grips. Since we're talking about fat grips here, is the best part about fat grips, honestly, besides that they're going to build monster forearms and a monster grip is that they actually give you something to grip, right? Like crushing a trap bar handle is great, but crushing a trap bar handle with fat grips on it is even better because you're going to create more tension, and that's tension is going to go through your entire body on a muscular level, which is going to save your joints, it's going to save your tendons, and it's obviously going to create a better pump. Um, but the main reason they were created the, uh, originally is to create grip strength, and a lot of people suffer from shitty grip strength. And we look at... Central nervous stimulation, when we talk about gaining strength and gaining power, grip is one of the foundational keys to it. So if you can create stronger grip and you can create a tougher grip during that specific lift, you'll actually have a better lift because your nervous system is going to turn on better. So I'm a huge fan of um, fat grips in general. But the cool thing about fat grips is they want to give them away. So what we're going to do is we're going to do another review contest. So today is May 9th, but this is going to air – On the 11th, I believe, Um, Friday, May 11th is probably today when you're listening to this, you have one week from today. Actually, we're going to go – yeah, one week. So I'm going to check these next Friday, which means the following week is probably when I'm going to announce the winner because iTunes is really slow on producing reviews. But if you have not left a review yet, now's the time to do it. Because you're going to win something. So all we need from you is to leave us a five-star rating and review. And in that review, I want you to say something you enjoy about the podcast. Tell us why you love the podcast. Tell us why you keep coming back. Um, And if you really do like the podcast, please refer these to friends. little side note, it always helps bring your friends along, guys. So leave us a five-star rating and review. I want you to leave a a name and an email that you actually use and is recognizable so on the next podcast that we talk about this, I can announce the winner and you'll be able to email us and we're going to ship you guys a free pair of your own fat grips. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the Q&A. I feel like it's been a while since I did a Q&A, and because of that, I want to share with you guys a little lesson um, in the life of Boom Boom of why there was no episode last week. As you guys probably noticed, we had my interview with, um, I believe last week was Eric Bach, which was a great, great interview, um, and then there was no Friday Q&A, and it has been, I mean, shit, months and months and months since I have last not did a Q&A episode. But the reason isn't because I didn't have questions, because as you're going to notice today, we got plenty of questions. But the reason I didn't do a and a is because I needed space. So this is a really, really good and valuable lesson, guys. Um, I am very, very big on productivity. I'm very big on efficiency. I am a hustler. I will grind. I will put out more content than anybody. So not putting out a and a hurts, <laughs> like mentally, even though everybody, I have enough content going out and there were still videos going out that everybody would have been fine, and it wasn't like a worry for the business, but it's just because my consistency is so high that I love and I love the feeling of constantly putting out information for you guys, so it sucked to not put it out, but um, to be honest with you, I just listened to my mentor. My mentor knew that I had a lot going on, um, personal, business, uh, physically, in my training and everything. I'm doing a lot right now. I had a big, big week, had some big things coming up, and I was getting ready to travel out to D.C. for a business mastermind, and so my, my mentor gave me advice on our last coaching call before I flew out uh, to do a mastermind with him. And he was like, look, man, I'm not going to give you any tactics today. I'm not going to give you any strategies today. There's nothing you need to implement into your business to enhance things, to move forward. What you need right now is a break. He was like, you're doing a lot, man. You're training coaches to work with you. Your business is growing. You're cranking out content like crazy. You just had a huge personal thing go on. Um, you're about to travel. So you're going to be on a plane for multiple days, five, five hours at a time. He was like, you need sleep, man. You need to chill. So literally what I did is I had had a couple days before I left, and I had two days full schedule. And I looked at those schedules, and I noticed that the second half of each day, was honestly things that my day could go without, right? One of those things was recording a podcast. One of them was training. One of them was meal prep. One of them was um, some personal stuff I had to get done. And I literally just blocked all that shit out. I looked at what do I need to get done? And all of that was is take care of my current clients. I was like, okay, I'm gonna stay on top of programming. I'm gonna stay on top of emailing. And the rest of the shit on that schedule, I'm just not gonna do. And as hard for me, as hard as it is for me to not do things and to not be productive and not be quote unquote grinding all the time. It was the best thing I could have done, and I, I literally did not do anything except chill with my fiance with my daughter. We had good meals, I slept, <laughs> went to bed early, slept in a little bit later than normal uh, than usual, and I could not have done anything better and more productive for my business and at the time, and this is what this is the big lesson here is like sometimes you guys need to slow down or stop or just chill in order to actually speed up, grind harder, move forward more in your business, with your body. It's the same thing like a deload, right? A lot of people take deload weeks in their training, which I think is very, very smart. A lot of people don't take diet breaks, which is very, very needed, but same concept as deload. But even more people do not take a deload with their business. It's always in train mode. And that's exactly how I am. But that's also why I have a mentor. He tells me, yo, you need to chill. You need to rest and, and your business will be fine. Right. And, and it was actually it improves when I do that. So the reason there was no podcast last week is because I needed to create space. I needed to chill with my family. I needed to create clarity and just chill and relax a little bit before I traveled across the country. Right. And then I did travel across the country and it was grind for two full days. And guess what I did when I got back, I chilled, right. I was, I was a little bit behind. So I apologize for clients that got slow emails back, but you know, I flew back on Monday. Um 5 hours on the plane. I did as much work as I could, but when I landed, me and Shannon went and got coffee, we chilled. I came home, I laid down with my baby for I don't know how long and just did nothing to be honest with you. I got some more emails done and then Tuesday same thing was another slow day. We had some family shit we had to get done and that's fine. Today's Wednesday when I'm recording this, so it's back to the back to action, right? So realistically, that's, you know, 6 days in a row of not going super hard on the business. And guess what, guys? It's totally fine. If you can't afford to take a step back, to rest, to recover, to take a vacation, then you need to reevaluate where your business is at and how it's doing. Um, Seriously. And the same thing with training. If you can't afford to take a weekend off of training, take a weekend off the calorie deficit, whatever it may be, then you need to reevaluate the type of training you're doing, right? And, and this is like something I'm very passionate about because with my clients, um, I have actually had the last few weeks multiple clients that I've had to be like, hey, this weekend I don't want you to weigh in. I want you to eat, you know, 500 extra calories every day. Like we bump things up. Like because at times you need that diet break, right? Now, obviously there's a time and place that you can't just every other week be like, ah, I'm not going to track because I need a break. <laughs> and just give yourself that excuse because, uh, I mean, shit, I would eat, burgers and, and eat more calories every weekend if I could but he can't so um there is coaching guidance in that but the point of this this little message for you guys is is the reason behind me not doing a podcast which was difficult for me mentally was because physically emotionally spiritually mentally like I needed a break and we needed to plug that in and if I'm glad my mentor told me like a little slap in the face like dude chill out for a, for a you know Five six days and then we'll get back at it. It's the best thing I could have done. So guys, like, look at your work, look at your life, look at your training. Implement deloads. We all need them. All right. So, first question, and I hope you guys took away something from that rant. You guys know I like to rant, but I figured it was it was useful because I know there were some people out there that hit me up, and there were some people that probably was wondering, um, "Yo, what's up?" There was no podcast today. Where's the Q and A? And I just wanted to explain why. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's a very applicable lesson to everybody listening to this as well is, is we just, everybody needs breaks. You know what I mean? Um, and if you have a lot going on in your life, there's nothing wrong with slowing down for a little bit so you can speed up later on. All right. So the first question comes from Instagram, Tisladu. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but we'll see. So this is a longer question, which I actually like because I think it's very, very specific and it's very uh, client oriented. It's a case study essentially. So I'm going to read the whole entire question um, instead of summarizing it because I think there's a lot of people out there that can learn from something like this and see a lot of uh, relations to what they're doing or just get the vibe of like, yo, if you send me a paragraph long question and you have a specific scenario regarding your body, your training, your nutrition, whatever, shoot it my way because I'm down to answer it on the podcast. And follow me on on Instagram because these are all from Instagram, guys. So, like, I I shoot it on my story and I say, yo, I'm doing a podcast. I'll answer anything. And I hit these people back in their DM and I answer on the podcast. So, if you're looking to enhance your results and you need help, man, this is a great way to get specific individual guidance on whatever you're going through. So, uh, follow me at Cody.BoomBoom and then you can get your chance to get on here. So, Tislado says, I gained 40 pounds after I quit smoking a year ago. I started to work on it a few months ago. And I feel like I'm not eating shit. Okay, hold on one sec. This just popped in my head. I gained 40 pounds after I quit smoking a year ago. First and foremost, congrats. Good job on quitting a bad habit, right? Like that's huge. It's it's tough. So if you quit smoking a year ago, that means you've been... Haven't been smoking in a full year. So I just want to say congrats. Like That's a very, very big thing. And I also want to point out that she gained 40 pounds afterwards. And I don't know your personal situation, so I, this might be completely inaccurate and you can disregard if so. But a lot of times when we have, so like, if we look at smoking, smoking is a sedation, right? Smoking is something that makes us feel better temporarily to get over something else. It's an addiction, right? Same thing with alcohol, same thing with marijuana, same thing with drugs. For some people, it's sex or porn. Everybody has a a sedation, right? Even Instagram and Facebook can be a sedation. You're not happy, you're bored, you're, you're not improving something. So you you go towards these sedations that consume your time, consume your brain and, and distract your mind from the negative thoughts that are going on in your head, right? Um, Regardless, it's a bad habit, right? It's a sedation. But the fact that you gained 40 pounds after it tells me, tells me that you didn't find a positive, sedation, uh, a positive replacement for that sedation right away. And I think that's a huge thing to point out because a lot of people out there probably have some bad habits that you want to stop doing, right? Whether that is smoking or drugs or alcohol or porn or whatever I just said, right? So when you're getting ready to quit something, it's very, very positive positive and helpful to pick a new sedation, right? So if you're about to quit smoking, maybe you immediately implement hot yoga or a new sport or training or cooking, right? Something that can occupy yourself that's not a sedation, right? Um, I highly suggest that. So she says, I gained 40 pounds after I quit smoking a year ago. I started to work on it a few months ago and I feel like I'm not eating shit, but the weight isn't going anywhere. Is the calorie deficit best for me? I play badminton four hours a week, I'm assuming that's got to be broken up because if you're going hard at badminton for four hours a week, damn, that's some serious badminton, good shit. And go to the gym three to four times a week, and I usually do a lot of casual walking, and I'm still not losing any weight. Should I cut more calories? I eat two meals a day, one at work and one in the evening. I know you talk about reverse dieting, but would it make would it work for somebody who is overweight, or should I just stick with low calories? So. Of course, I read this, and I had to hit her back and go, "Yo, how many calories are you currently consuming? How much do you weigh right now?" Right. So, um, and, and then I, and then, Why, are you vegetarian? Because she she broke down her meals, and it was like avocado pesto pasta, uh, veggie sausage, um, two slices of bread, big bowl salad. I was like, okay, so she eats two big meals of all veggies. So, my first response was, "Look, are you consuming enough calories?" She's weighs about I want to say she said 170 to 180. Um, um, she's um, she's only I would say you're 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 in a deficit. That's for damn sure. Now, what badminton looks like and what training in the gym looks like depends on that uh, caloric deficit, right? So, you're below the the amount of calories I prefer when somebody's at that weight. I would like to see you at least at 1700. But to be honest with you, I mean, you could be that low if you have a good amount of weight to lose. It's not the end of the world. Like I don't think that's a crazy, crazy deficit. Um, As long as you're implementing refeeds or diet breaks. But the first thing I said is, look, like I would add calories via protein because if that's what you're eating right there and you're consuming only 1,600 calories, then that tells me that you could probably add two to 300 extra calories strictly through protein because you're probably getting a fourth of your body weight, maybe half of your body weight in protein, which is not nearly enough, especially if your goal is fat loss. Um, so first and foremost, I would bump bump your protein up and I would just look at your calories and then just optimize your training. And I asked her if she's vegetarian. She said no. She just is uh, lazy and doesn't like to cook a ton of meat because it's time consuming. So I would say start eating meat. Start eating animal products. There's no – like it's – I have no problem working with vegans and vegetarians because I do have multiple clients that are. But I will honestly say that it is much easier to achieve muscle gain. It is much easier to achieve strength. It is much easier to achieve fat loss if you're consuming some kind of animal products because there's a lot of – I mean, shit, from the fats to the omega 3s to the vitamin B to creatine to protein and the amino acid profile that animal product protein does have, it's just easier. Like results come easier when you're consuming animal products. And we don't, there's nothing wrong with being a vegan or vegetarian, but we can't deny that fact. It's just, it's science, right? Um, Now, she said, the main reason I wanted to use this question is because she said, I know you talk about reverse dieting, but. Would it work for someone who is overweight or should I just stick with low calories? So reverse dieting works for somebody who is underweight, overweight, at a good weight. It doesn't matter. Reverse dieting is for somebody who is in too low of a deficit. So what we would need to look at is like, okay, what is your biofeedback like? So I know you're not losing weight. That's one factor. Then we got to look at, okay, well, Maybe 1,600 calories is enough for you. Maybe we just up the protein. We eat three or four meals a day instead. Maybe even just add a little bit of calories, like 100 calories, so you're not eating too much more. We don't have to go into a full reverse diet. Maybe we optimize your training and then we break through that plateau, right? So it might not need to be reverse dieting. But then I would look at some other things too biofeedback. So I would say, hey, how is your sleep? How is your stress? Do you crave a lot of food? Do you have binges? Are you actually eating 1,600 calories every day or on the weekends do you end up eating 2,000-plus calories because you've been dieting all week and it's it's really hard for you? Do you have low energy? Are you restless? So we have all these questions we need to determine like are you in a lower metabolic state? And if you are, then reverse dieting is absolutely for you because whether you have 10 pounds to lose, 40 pounds to lose, or no more pounds to lose, if your metabolism is shot and your hormones are shot, you need to reverse diet no matter what. Um, because if those are the reasons you're at a plateau, right? So, um, because again, like I think reverse dieting is great and I use it a lot. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are jumping on this reverse dieting train because it's so popular right now. But we also need to remember too, like if we look at a bikini competitor, I'm going to diet them down past like quote unquote textbook calorie levels and it's going to take longer and they're going to have some metabolic adaptation. Like it's just part of the process. But at the end of the day, they're getting on stage at this specific date. So sometimes reverse dieting isn't in the – like you can't – because if this situation was with somebody who is four weeks away from stage and I'm like, hey, are you restless? Yeah. Are you tired? Yeah. Do you have shitty performance? Yeah. Are you hungry? Yeah. Are you craving? Yeah. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm sorry but that's just part of this. Right. You signed up for a show. So let's just keep working through it. Um, and as as shitty as that sounds like that's just the reality of those things. So I think for you in your case, like if you uh, before anything, um, I would up calories. If I were you, I would up calories through protein because a lot of people do need to reverse diet a little bit, but they don't need to go into a full blown reverse diet. They could add a few hundred calories strictly through protein just to make sure that they're hitting, um, let's just say, your goal weight in grams per uh, grams of protein. And that would be a little bit of a reverse diet because you're adding calories through that, but it's also giving you the protein needed to actually stimulate fat loss, to stimulate recovery, stimulate gains, um, so on and so forth. And you're going to see way better results if you do that. So, um, that's what I would say. And then I would just stick with it because if you're doing what you're doing right now and you're not eating enough protein, I would add the protein and stick with that. It takes a while for, for changes to happen. So, um, it's such a, it's such a individual question. Um, so the calorie deficit isn't necessarily best for you. Um, I think the calorie deficit is the key to fat loss, but I think a calorie deficit should be, excuse me, should be higher than most people imagine it to be. Right? If you weigh one seventy to one eighty, your calorie deficit should actually be like seventeen hundred to two thousand calories. But a lot of people don't don't allow the process or don't start the process properly enough to like really understand where their calories should be at. Um, so yeah, I would, I would reverse diet and I don't, I think reverse dieting can be for anybody who's stuck. I don't know how to pronounce this one, but we're going to try. SETI Karias, I'm sorry, on Instagram, Seti Carias, Do you ever use these? You know, what's funny is like somebody, <laughs> I said their name so fucking wrong in this show and they messaged me on uh, Instagram and they told me what it is. And I felt so stupid. Dahlia, you know who I'm talking about. She messaged me. She was like, it's Dahlia. And then I looked at her name again. And I was like, oh, my God. I said that, like, I think I said Dalai Lama some shit <laughs> so bad. But it was it was really obvious when she said that. So I'm glad that she messaged me. But So I'm sorry, City uh, Karius, if I'm doing the same exact thing to you. Do you ever use online PT softwares slash apps for program design and tracking for your online clients? If so or not. What are your thoughts on them? I think these apps and I don't use any of them, but I think these apps and softwares are great for somebody stepping in the industry and who needs some guidance on things. I'm a bigger fan of, I've always had a mentor and I started programming shit when the only way to learn about programming was either A, in a textbook or B, working with a coach (laughs) and a mentor and learning from them specifically and watching DVDs. We used to buy DVDs from like Joe DeFranco and, and West Side Barbell and shit like that. Like that's how you learn. But um, I'm not a big fan of them, to be honest with you. For me, it just distracts me. It makes it more unorganized rather than organized, and it just – it's too much clutter. It's too many different things. Now I got like – like for me, when I program design, I want to turn Wi-Fi off and focus. I don't want to be on a website trying to plug in things using their videos, their templates. Like I like freedom of creativity. I've created my own systems, my own structure, my own tables, my own formatting everything i need to program properly for my clients and i think it's much much easier if i can send my client one single pdf and it has everything they need links to the videos it has the exercise has the notes has everything on it so i don't want my client to have to open an email or an app then download or even download an app right they already have to do that with my fitness pal um they already have to uh check in with me on email they already have to text me things they already have to get on calls they already have to um review what i send them but the I'm a big I, – I believe that the simplistic approach is always going to be the best approach, especially for clientels, because I know for me, I have somebody who writes my training programs and I have somebody who writes my nutrition. I like to keep it very, very simple. I don't like logging into a bunch of different things. I don't like opening a bunch of different things. So my program is on a PDF from my guy and that's all I need. I don't want anything else. I don't want to open multiple windows. I want to focus. I want to keep it simple. I don't want clutter. I don't want to have to save multiple documents. For my nutrition, um, I have to track on my fitness pal. I have to report back to her on a weekly basis. And and I'll be honest, I'm very <laughs> – I don't follow orders. But there's a tracker, like a Google Sheets tracker that I'm supposed to fill out every day, and I don't because I don't like to do multiple things. I know I'm on point. I'm following the program, and I update her once a week, so she's cool with it. right? So for some people, I will use a tracker that they fill out every single day on Google Sheets. And some people, I say it's pointless, and I want them to fill out – once a week because it's simple, it's less stressful, it's less overwhelmed, there's less to do for them. So I think that, I think these PT softwares are good for beginners who have very little knowledge in program design because they need templates, they need guidance, they need somebody to show them, how do you even set this shit up? Uh, But I also think it could be too much clutter. So I think that if you can't do without it, then you need to figure out how to do without it because what happens when that company shuts down or what happens when you you don't have Wi-Fi? What happens when your client has a shitty cell phone or doesn't have access to their phone or whatever it may be? I think that if we rely too heavily, it's just like Instagram, right? People model their whole entire business over Instagram, but they don't have an email list. They don't have a website. They don't have a billing system. They don't have any of this shit. What if Instagram decides to delete your account because you use a song that is copyrighted? You're fucked. So this is how I look at with these things. If you can't do without, I think you need to learn how to do without. Now, if you can do without, but you enjoy using fucking Trainerize or whatever it is, because it allows you to systemize it, and most of your clients love logging into an app and then checking things on there. Then great. I think that's perfect. I think it really depends on, on all of that. Um, but I personally don't use it. Um, I'm I'm a very successful online coach. I have a lot of clients, and I have a lot of clients that have a lot of success, and they can easily follow their systems, their programs that I have outlined for them. And it's easier for me to track personally because I can have them all in one place at an easier way. So um, I'm not a big fan of them, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with them. Um, and again, everybody's individual. Just like my clients, every individual is individual, and I need to create individual training and nutrition for that person i think the same thing goes with coaches whatever system works for you so you can be the most efficient productive and helpful coach i think that's the system you need to go with cody bunch from instagram is it more beneficial to do push pull days rather than the typical split split days like he said uh, for example chest slash back arms slash shoulders legs for someone trying to gain lean mass so yes it is more beneficial. And the reason it's more beneficial, in my opinion, is because one, frequency is higher. Usually when you're doing a a chest back day and then arm shoulder day and then a legs day and then an abs day um, and then probably, I mean, I guess just four days a week. The point is, is you're only doing one day a week. So if we look at a chest back day, maybe you're doing just, or even for a lot of people doing a bro split like this, you're usually doing chest on Monday, back on Tuesday, legs on Wednesday, arms on Thursday, Friday, shoulders, and then you take two days off. So, If you're doing that, we got to think about frequency, right? So if we look at frequency, frequency is the number of times you hit a muscle group per week, which is a very, very important factor when it comes to building muscle and building strength. So if we're only doing frequency once a week, that's subpar. You're only giving that anabolic signal to your body once per week. You're only giving that signal to grow, to break down, to repair once per week. Science has shown that two to three times is going to be most optimal, maybe even four times a week, depending on how advanced you are and if you like to do full body training. So if you're doing a, a bro split like that or doing a chest, back, arm, shoulders, body part style split, then you're only hitting your frequency once a week. So one one thing to take from this is, is frequency. And the reason for that is, is what science has shown and studies have shown essentially is they took two groups and one group did – the both groups did the same amount of volume. So if – The one group did 70 reps of chest work between press, flies, whatever it may be on Monday, and the other group did the exact same amount of volume, 70 reps, same exercises, same set, same reps, same weight, but they split it up into two days per week. The group that did the same thing for two days per week gained more muscle. So right there it tells you that frequency is powerful because they did the exact same thing, the exact same amount of volume, the exact same sets, reps, weight, everything, and they gained more muscle by just doing it twice instead of doing it once. The other thing here is if they didn't control the weight like they did, like they made sure that they used the same weight and all that stuff, if they didn't do that and they just let them use their own weight, I can almost guarantee that the people who did twice a week – would have lifted heavier weights because if you look at doing, so you start your day with bench, then you do flies, then you do incline bench, then you do cable crossovers, you're doing all this stuff. The further you get along, the, the more fatigued your chest becomes, the more fatigued your shoulders and all these um, assistant muscles are becoming, triceps, all these things, now your weight starts to drop. You can't do as high of a load after you've done uh, two hours of chest work already. right? But if you did you know, two exercises – two sets or whatever, or yeah, no, like let's say eight sets, two, two exercises of four sets each on your chest, and then you wait until Thursday to hit it again, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to do more weight on those exercises you would have done after the bench on Monday because you've split it up into two days. So now we have the factor of your load and intensity is also increasing. So even if volume stays the same, but I can almost guarantee you can do more volume as well because you're giving yourself a break. Um, so at the end of the day, because volume, intensity, and frequency is the most important piece of building muscle inside of a training program it's absolutely more optimal to be doing two to three times a week an upper lower split an upper lower split essentially lets you do that right you can go push pull legs push pull legs or you can do upper lower break upper lower break um, but either way your your frequency is increasing and therefore your intensity can increase and usually that means your volume can increase that being said Let's actually consider fat loss as well, right? Like I'm a huge believer that anybody training for fat loss should be training for muscle and strength, period, because ultimately building strength, building muscle is going to burn more calories, it's going to burn more fat, it's going to have a better metabolic effect, it's going to create more longevity. I mean, hormonal responses, neurological responses, we can go on and on with why you should train for that versus fat loss, Um, and actually, we can go on and on about how training for fat loss is actually training for muscle and, and strength, but... I think this applies to that just as much, right? Because if we look at a, so if I did a chest day, for example, and I did, I started with bench, maybe I'm doing heavy five by five, and then after that I go incline dumbbell press for eight to 10, then I go flies for 12 to 15, so on and so forth, and I'm just going down the line, right? Or I start with a bench and a heavy barbell pendlay row, then I move on to a incline press and a chin up and then i'm doing maybe a fly and a posterior delt fly and then i do arms after that so i do curls and now i've hit i mean technically i've hit my chest and my shoulders because the shoulders will have carryover on a lot of pressing especially the angled pressing um i'm going to be doing tricep bicep work i'm going to be doing trap lat rhomboid a, a ton of back work so now i've incorporated literally from my waist up and then on my second upper body day. Maybe I'm doing more of a vertical push emphasis. So maybe I start with an overhead press instead of a bench press. And I kind of follow suit doing the same thing, just catering more to the shoulders, but still getting carry over to those other muscles. Regardless, I'm hitting full upper body twice a week. I'm going to burn more fat, period. You're going to burn way more calories. You're going to create a bigger metabolic response by doing a full upper body day than you would doing a chest day or an arm day or a back day, right? So I think that's that's something to consider as well. Um, and and for, for legs, it's the same thing. If you're doing quads – That's great, but your quads are going to fatigue out after your first couple sets, and you're not going to be able to push much weight after that, and you're not going to burn as many calories, right? You're not going to burn as much fat. But if you do quads, hamstring, glutes, calves, you're hitting everything, you can bet your ass you're going to be burning more calories, you're going to build more muscle, and you're definitely going to build more strength, right? So that's another key component we have to think about. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about, which is going to contribute to more than anything longevity, but it's also going to contribute to, um, again – Burning more calories uh, for the long run, but it's mainly because this is going to increase your performance. It's going to increase your recovery. It's going to increase your ability, your skill component within training. Um, When we do upper-lower splits or we do a full-body training is the same thing, our posture and our injury prevention improve significantly, and the reason being is simple. If we have a chest day or a shoulder day or even, as some people do, it, a push day, which is okay, but even on a push day, you need to throw in some kind of rows or activation work for your back beforehand. But if we're doing tons of pressing, tons of chest work, tons of shoulder work, that's how we either tear a bicep tendon or get a a, a shoulder impingement, or we just wear and tear the shit out of our rotator cuffs and our shoulders because we're just pushing and pushing and pushing, and we're not practicing any pulling or retracting of the scapula. It's all protraction. It's all um, flexion of your shoulders. It's all downward posture, right? So, I'm a huge believer in improving posture, improving joint health, improving movement. That's why I'm so big. Like if you, if you run functional muscle, which if you haven't run yet, I highly suggest you do, and there's a link to grab it in the, in the description. But a lot of people who have ran that, and I've had a bunch of testimonials for it, um, which I need to start posting more, but one of them went on and on about how CrossFit actually wrecked them. Um, and, and I've had at least a handful of people come from CrossFit to do this and there's nothing wrong with CrossFit, but blending this kind of training in with your CrossFit. So you're doing less CrossFit, more of this, um, or taking a break from CrossFit to do some of this stuff will seriously help you so much. But basically what they're saying is when they implemented functional muscle, they got rid of low back pain, they got rid of shoulder pain they started really improving strength because they could actually go through these movements without pain or without worrying about injury. It's safer, right? So when we look at – and functional muscle is an upper-lower split. If we look at an upper-lower split or a full-body routine, we can balance out movement patterns, and we're training by movements versus training by muscle groups. And when we do this, we are increasing shoulder health. We are increasing knee health, hip health, low-back health. We're improving our movement through the joints. We're improving our tendons and the stress on our tendons and joints. I mean the 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 benefits are endless when it comes to posture improvement and movement improvement and injury prevention because and this is why high level strength coaches do not train athletes in a muscle group split. Think about that. Like we look at athletes as somebody we um, kind of put on a pedestal. They're they're the peak physical being right they're exactly what we want to look like and what we want to perform like the crazy part is is we do these body part splits that we see in magazines that they say the athletes are doing which is not the case right we we look for years we looked at this but the reason these athletes do full body and upper lower splits is because it's safer on your joints it's going to improve your posture and balance things out so you don't have imbalances you don't have injuries to your shoulders and knees and hips so if we look at it from that perspective, I mean, it improves any result you're looking for. So whether you want to perform better, you want to build more strength or build more muscle or you're chasing lean gains like Cody Bunch wanted, dude, it's it's a, it's a no-brainer. If you can prevent injuries and stay healthier from a joint perspective and a posture perspective, you're going to be able to train harder for longer, more consistently, and that's obviously going to lead to better gains. All right. Cat underscore Don underscore Ann from Instagram what to do when the scale's not moving you're eating you're eating 1900 calories (laughs) I wrote 19,000 my bad you're eating 1900 calories a day and doing CrossFit three days a week and running but the scale is not changing so there's a few things so I asked her and I'm actually gonna pull it up I asked her what her weight was and where her goal weight was so because that plays a huge role in this right um so she weighs 136 pounds, and her goal is 125. So she's eating 1,900 calories. So if you look at it from the perspective of that, um, I mean, she's eating, quote, unquote, what most people would find maintenance. I would say in the CrossFit world is fat loss calories. So it's really tough because 1,900 calories for a 135-pound woman isn't low. Like that's actually good. But, again, you're doing a lot of shit. You're doing CrossFit three days a week, and you're running. Um, which can be quite a bit, right? So it depends. It depends on what you're doing. Um, Are you you doing refeeds? Are you doing diet breaks? Um, What does your CrossFit look like, right? Because I have, for example, I have a CrossFit athlete that trains twice a day because they're competitive. They have to. And Then I have a CrossFit athlete that does three times a week, and it's just a wad. So they're not like a competitive athlete, but they're considered an athlete because they go to these things and they're competing against themselves. So I think that plays a big role in this too. So, what to do when the scale's not moving is I would implement the minimal, minimal effective dose in every case. So we look at okay, so your scale's not moving, you're already running, which I'm assuming if you're doing running because you enjoy it from a mental, spiritual, emotional perspective, I say continue doing it. If you're running because you think that's gonna lead to fat loss, I say stop it. Because CrossFit is very high intensity. And if you were running, you were either doing high intensity, Or you are doing moderate intensity. If you're doing moderate intensity with CrossFit, you're probably going to smoke your nervous system. You're not going to burn as many calories. And you're essentially – you're not going to burn as many calories in the long run because you're not getting into that high-intensity threshold. But you're also banging on your joints. I think a mile is 1,600 steps, which means – or maybe it's more. But you're doing like 800 to 1,000 steps per leg, which is really just 800 times you're hopping on each ankle, knee, and hip joint socket. So I wouldn't recommend running. Um, I would have recommend like hill sprints or I would recommend low intensity cardio for you because you're doing high intensity these other days and you can just focus on down regulating, recovering, lowering cortisol and just burning pure fat. So I maybe would change your running. Um, but if you're somebody, and this is what I believe, if you're somebody who loves running because emotionally, mentally, it just, it's like a get away, then I would say, keep doing it because we would never want to take your, your down regulation time, your meditation time away from you. Um, shit, I've even gone on runs for that exact same reason. You just need to clear your mind and you can't really think about anything else. So I don't want to take it away from you of that. Now, if you're eating 1900 calories a day, I would also say, okay, well, if the scale's not moving, maybe it's your macros where are your macros at. Right? Are you under-consuming protein? Are you over-consuming fat and under-consuming carbs? Um, are you under-consuming fats and over-consuming carbs? So it really depends on where your macros are at too. I would probably balance those out so you're getting enough fats to support yourself hormonally. But more importantly, you're getting enough carbs to support CrossFit performance and recovery because if not, you could be overtraining. Um, maybe your CrossFit training is not that intense. Right? Maybe you're not going balls to the wall and you're recovering just fine. So maybe we go, hey, let's do two days of CrossFit and two days of something like functional muscle, functional bodybuilding, strength work, and then a couple of days of cardio. So now you're doing two, two, and two, six days total. Right? So there's, there's so many different routes I could take this. Is your sleep okay? Is your external stress Okay. Right? Like we could go down that rabbit hole. Um, how long have you been dieting? Because maybe 1900 calories may seem like a lot for you from a calculation standpoint, but maybe your stress is so high that maybe you do need more than 1900 calories. So, in that case, how long have you been following that? Because if you've been in a deficit for six months, then it changes the game. And I go, oh shit, like the reason you're plateaued is because you're burnt out. We need to add a diet break in, maybe some refeeds. So, there's, as you can see, there's so many routes we could take with this. But what I would say is, I, what you want to do when the scale's not moving in general is you want to really just analyze every single thing you're doing and then look at the, the simplest and the most easy thing that you could optimize, right? So, for example, CrossFit, how could you optimize that, your training? Well, maybe three days of CrossFit, three days of running is a little bit beaten on your system. So maybe we drop that three days of CrossFit to two days. Maybe we do two days of hypertrophy work, so we're not taxing the nervous system, but we are stressing the muscles, we're doing higher reps, we're getting a burn, we're lifting in a more joint-friendly way, and it's different than what you're used to, which is always going to provide a better result, and then maybe we take that running down to a walk for 30, 40 minutes, and we do it twice a week, so it's like, now you have this scale of two really high-intensity days, two moderately intense bodybuilding days, and then you have two really low intense cardio days, right, so now we've optimized your training. Run with that, see what that happens. What happens with that? Right? Maybe it's your diet that needs to be optimized. When was the last time you took a diet break or a refeed? Maybe it's been months. So maybe you take a week or even just three days in a row of higher calories. I've done this with clients a lot of times. We hit a plateau, and I really think it's a hormonal thing. I think they've been just working really hard on their training. I don't really want to drop calories on them. So what do I do? I say, hey, for the next four days, three or four days, I want you to eat your refeed day calories. So usually they have one refeed day a week, let's say. So I go, ahead for three to four days, I want you to eat your refeed calories. I don't want you to weigh in whatsoever, and I want you to email me before you step on that scale. So they get done with three days of refeeding, four days maybe. They email me, and I say, hey, I want you to wait three more days before you weigh in. Three days later, they're back at the weight they left off at. Two to three days later after that, they're down in weight. So sometimes you just need that metabolic kick, that metabolic burn through a diet break just to reset your body, reset your nervous system, give you some mental break, I guess, just a mental break to reduce mental fatigue from dieting. Um, so it could be that, um, what's your neat, like maybe you have a very, very sedentary job. Cause a lot of people use these calculators or look at their life like, damn, you know, I'm going super hard at the gym, but I only get 2000 steps because for the other 10 hours of my day, I'm not doing shit, but sitting down. Right. So, Maybe we look at your steps. Maybe you have a sedentary job, and when you're at home, you don't stand up much. Well, maybe we start standing up at work. Maybe we start standing up um, while we're cooking, while we're holding the baby, while we're watching TV, whatever it may be. So, the point I'm getting at here is what to do when the scale is not moving. Is basically look at the easiest, the most minimal effective dose kind of thing, and just change it, optimize it. It's very, very simple for me right now. So, and this is, and, this, and it's also about patience, guys. Like I'm on a cut for for the summer. I went three weeks without changing a goddamn thing, and I didn't get any results in those three weeks. So I started the plan. Three full weeks, my body did not adjust. But number one, I was listening to my coach, and court's in her hand. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take over because that's not my role. I'm not coaching myself. That's why I pay her. I'm going to listen to her, and she told me to wait. We also know that my body is stubborn. I've been doing this for eight years. Of course, it's going to be hard to break a, a set point that I've been at for a long time. And we barely changed anything because we want to keep as calories as high as we can. Week four, we finally saw some progress. Finally saw some progress. So sometimes it just takes time, right? And we, you got to wait things out. Um, so if the scale's not moving and it's only been two weeks, maybe you wait another week. If it's only been one week, definitely wait another week, you know? So it, it really, really depends. But I always suggest just taking the easiest thing that you could adjust and optimizing it. And always hit the, the, the low hanging fruit first. If you're not sleeping seven hours a night, it's simple get some sleep. All right, underscore Justin with two Ns, underscore again, from Instagram. Most optimal way to increase calories on a conservative reverse diet. So I think that the easiest way or the smartest way um, to up calories on a um, reverse diet in a conservative reverse diet is simple. You're going to literally add 10 grams carbs a day. So this is like essentially or, – or I shouldn't say carbs because it could be fat that you need. So we'll say you're going to add – 40 to 100 calories per week, right, or per day each week. So basically, we look at your weight. If Let's say you weigh, for easy math, you weigh 170 pounds, okay, and you're consuming 1,700 calories because you had to diet down to that point, okay? Now we're at this point. What I would suggest, once you get to this point, so let's say it took you eight weeks. Eight weeks on this diet um, or this little mini cut or whatever, 12 weeks, let's be more realistic, 12 weeks and... Week 12, you hit your goal, 170 pounds. You're at 1,700 calories. I would probably do a refeed day, one single refeed day um, at your normal maintenance calories. So maybe that's 2,400. Do your normal maintenance calories by carbs. One day, go right back to 1,700 calories for another week. And I know that's not an immediate approach. But again, we're being conservative. And if we want to keep that leanness, and this is where people go wrong. They diet, 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 diet. They get to their result and they go, okay, let's go. Let's reverse. And they immediately start bringing calories up. Well, let your body reset to that new fat level, right? That new body fat percentage, that new body fat uh, set point, so to speak. And the same exact concept goes with reverse dieting. We reverse up, 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 and then all of a sudden they go, okay, I had enough calories. Let me drop them down again. No, we're up at this high metabolic point now. Finally, give yourself four weeks of just sitting here, maintaining weight at this new high calorie limit. Because that's what's going to tell your body, like, okay, this is normal. This is homeostasis. I'm going to adapt, and I'm going to reset not only my body fat set point, but my metabolic set point, my hormonal set point, my neurological set point at this new higher calorie limit, right? So now we're, stu- we're, we're keeping it up here so our body can readjust. Simple. So we, we did a refi day just for mental <laughs> mental reasons essentially um adherence reasons and then we go back to 1700 calories for a week and maybe you do just one refeed day a week or you do no refeed days um actually i would probably do a refeed day once a week if we're just trying to maintain um for two three four weeks waiting for your body to just feel like you've really reset at this set point um and you should be doing refeeds and you shouldn't be – like now obviously if you're, if you're 170 pounds and you had to go down to like 1,400 calories to get there, then definitely bring your calories up pretty rapidly because otherwise you're just going to screw yourself. But I would say if you're know if you at 10 times your body weight, which would be 1,700 calories, I don't think you're going to suffer hormonally very much unless you stay down there for two plus months, right? So at this point, we're just going to let our body fat set to this new point. So after three or four weeks probably – some people it takes longer, but usually it's about three or four weeks – Now we're going to start increasing calories by 40 to 100 calories. So if you chopped a lot of fat out of your diet during this cut, then fat's going to be the first thing we approach because hormonally that's what we need. Like, yes, carbs are going to fuel performance. They're going to fuel pumps and things like that, and you need them for some of your hormones as well. But more importantly, you need calories and more importantly, you need fats when it comes to hormones. And the hormones are going to be the number one thing we want to save when we're going into a conservative reverse diet, into a reverse diet in general. So – at that point, maybe we're adding a little bit of fat until we get your fat up to a reasonable amount, um, and we're doing so by adding five grams of fat a week every other week depending on how your body plays out, but that's that's only, you know, 48 calories, I think, um, or less. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So um, now we're adding – sorry, 45. So. You added a little bit of calories. Your body shouldn't gain weight, but if it gains a pound, then we wait you know, three, four, five days longer, uh, wait for your body to reset out, and then we add five more grams of fat, and we wait another week, maybe even more, just until your body plateaus out again at that weight. Once you get your body weight to, I mean, at least uh, times 0.35, but more like times 0.4 probably, your body weight in grams of fat per day, once you get it to that point, then we're going to start adding carbs. 10 grams carbs a day. Some people can go up to 20 grams carbs a week, uh, a day, every week. But at the end of the day, how much you can add on a reverse diet per week really depends on the individual and how adaptive their metabolism is um, and how easily they gain fat. But the most conservative way is exactly what I said. Get to your low body fat level, let your body reset, and then slowly, slowly add calories back week by week, just like any other typical diet, right? This is, Bodybuilding coaches are notorious for this. They call it five-gram carb you to death, <laughs> which I think five grams of carbs is a little bit ridiculous, but um, I would do that in the case of reverse dieting somebody into a show on stage, but probably not afterwards. But um, yeah, so you can slowly bring those calories up. Now, I will say... Some people, if you are suffering hormonally, um, you got it. Sometimes you got to take an aggressive approach to reverse dieting and you got to add, you know, 30, 40, 50 grams of carbs right out the gate. I don't recommend that for everybody, but some people you just have to bite the bullet and you just have to do it because they need that. They need that uh, hormonal support. All right. Sarah Pringle from Facebook Best advice you have ever received regarding life and also your business? Shit. I really sh- I told myself I was gonna read this before I started recording <laughs> again so I could think about it. Um so let's start with uh business. Let's start with business. So I think the best advice I have ever received, um fuck, that's you know that's hard. I, I I go back and forth between two things that keep popping in my head. Number one is be you, be authentic. So I think that's one thing that really pops up in my head because I think there's a lot of, in the fitness industry at least, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of fakes. There's a lot of phonies. Um, I recently was at a mastermind, and I met a bunch of people who I don't really know um, necessarily. I mean I've seen them on social media, you know, and they knew me. Uh, they listen to my podcast. They see me uh, on Instagram and stuff like that. They know of me because they know my mentor. Um, But we've never like hung out or or kicked it. And when I met them, I got the sense of I was exactly what they figured, right? I was the same person that they hear on the show. I was the same person they see on Instagram. There wasn't any like, oh, shit, this guy is completely different. And I think that's important, right? That made me really happy because I I pride myself in being me and not being ashamed of being who I am. So I think the best advice on business is to do that because I truly believe now, this is obviously industry specific, but especially as a coach, I, I People do not always buy – they don't buy logic. They buy person, like the personal side of things, right? They buy the coach. They don't buy the science. So although I do know the science, I do get results. I do know the training. I do know the nutrition. I think that I do really well because people can relate to who the fuck I actually am. And they know that I'm being real when I – like I don't – I don't shy away from cursing. I don't shy away from talking about my past. I don't shy away from talking about my mistakes and my personal life because it's it's who I am. And if you don't like who I am, then peace, man. Like it's just – I think that that is some of the best advice I've ever gotten because I know at one point I was influenced heavily by multiple different people and – I thought I had to be like them to be successful because I was very young and I was new in the industry and it was hard for me to find my own voice, my own personality. But once they told me like, dude, you're a good person, like be you and that'll work better for you than anything else. And I finally just said, you know what? Screw it. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to be authentic, be who I am. I think that's when things really kind of, uh, multiplied and took off and, and started to not only grew, but like I started to enjoy the growth and I started to actually love the growth and I started to appreciate the growth because it, it was, it was, I was being me. So I think being authentic is the like one of the best things. The other thing that came to mind for the best advice I've ever received is to just give more. Um, and as you guys know, you're listening to me on this podcast, devoting hours of my time to make sure that you can hear me talk for free right? Same thing with my blog, same thing with my Instagram, same thing with everything I do, right? Like I'm a big believer in just giving more, um, whether that's for free or for my paid customers, I give as much as I can and I give extra and I try to deliver more value in any way, shape or form that I can and just go the extra mile. And I I believe that's some of the best advice. And I received that from multiple mentors, but especially from the book, the go giver. And when I read that book, I realized that, like if you can give without expectation i think that everything in life will just work out better um i mean not only because like realistically whether you realize it or not or whether you know how or not when you give more you are going to receive more as well in life and that's not just in the form of um finance right or or income or revenue it's it's in the the form of appreciation love gratitude fun happiness success whatever you want to call it but anything in life the more you put in the more you get out and I just believe in just giving more to more people has paid off a lot for me and it's just provided a better mindset and a better appreciation for what I do like every single day I love my life I love everything I do and part of the one of the biggest parts of that is because I, I give on a daily basis and and somebody benefits from that and shares it with me. And I don't make a dollar off that, but it makes me the happiest man in the world. So that's huge. Um, I would say both of those apply for the best advice I've received for life as well. But if I were to say the best advice I've ever received regarding life, um, I would say that, you know, it's it sounds funny. It's kind of cheesy, but my dad used to always say, um, He had this little line he used to always say to me when I was a kid, uh, when I was younger. And not necessarily like a little kid, but when I was old enough to comprehend what the hell he was talking about. But he he used to always say, like, trust your gut, follow your heart, and just don't lie. Like, plain and simple. He said, follow your heart, trust your gut, don't lie. And, you know, like, over over the years growing up, there was a lot of times where I wanted to lie because maybe I did something that I wasn't proud of, right? Um, But I never lied to anybody. And if somebody wanted the truth, I told them the truth. Um, and I mean I've had relationships end because of that because I told the truth and I was just real about shit. Um, I've always trusted my gut and even if that meant making a scary, scary decision um, or making uh, a decision that cut somebody out of my life or cut a avenue out of my life or caused somebody else to – have issues or, or whatever, right? Like I've made a lot of decisions based on what my gut was telling me that were very scary. And I had to have crucial conversations that were scary conversations that I didn't want to have. I was uncomfortable, put myself into very uncomfortable situations because I trusted my gut. Um, but it always worked out. Right. And it's one of those things where you make that decision, you know, right now it hurts, but for some weird reason, it feels good. Like you needed to do it. And then a year down the line, It made so much more sense and everybody benefited from it. Um, So I've always just trusted my gut because of that. And then as far as following your heart, I think that just, to me, that means heart over logic, right? Heart over brains. And I think that's important because a lot of people are so logical with their decision making. And when it comes to relationships, it comes to happiness, it comes to coaching, it comes to success. A lot of times you got to trust your heart. you got to follow your heart. You can't follow your brain and, and be logical with the answers you're providing, because sometimes being logical will create more anxiety, will create more overwhelm, so on and so forth. And following your heart, you can't go wrong because you know it's the right thing to do. Um, and sometimes financially it doesn't make sense, but emotionally it does. And and that to me has always been a pivotal um, or or just like the pinnacle of what I do, right? Just following my heart. Um, and then don't lie. I mean I, I've always been a very, very honest person, so I'm going to re- reiterate that. Like just lying is fucking pointless. If you lie, you're just digging yourself into a fucking hole, and eventually it's going to bite you in the ass. So I'm a firm believer on that. So the best advice for life I've ever gotten, and I guess it applies to business just as much, is from my dad. And he said, follow your heart, trust your gut, don't ever lie. Martin Ludwig – I do this every time, bro. I'm sorry. Martin Ludvigson. Yeah, Ludvigsen. I don't know. Um, his question is, Gausha massage, dot, 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 thumbs up or thumbs down. So I had to Google what a Gao sha massage is. Um, and it looks like it is kind of, uh, what's the word? It's like ART, but it's kind of like, um, uh, fuck, what's the word for it? There's like a metal rod they scrape you with. Washa? No, because that's what this is. Oh, maybe that's just a weird fucking spelling. There's another word for this, but yeah. um, And I I believe, so it's spelled G-U-A, and I think it's wa. But anyway, it's basically like uh, deep, deep tissue massage, but on a very painful level where they're just scraping your skin. So basically what they do is they take this rod. They usually take... um, Some kind of ointment or lotion or some kind of lubricant to your skin to make sure it's not like just destroying you any more than it already is going to. And they scrape the tissue. So they're scraping your muscles. So I've had this done to the arches of my feet, my Achilles, which, oh my God, that was horrible. My IT band, my quads, uh, my hip flexors. I've had it done to my lats, my traps, um, a lot of different things. So I'm actually a big fan. I think it's smart. I think it's way better than foam rolling, right? Like, I think foam rolling is more of a neurological thing, and this can actually be a neurological thing as well, calming the nervous system down to release tissue, but um, it's basically a way to just get deep tissue, because there's a certain point where nothing else is going to work, and I do think this does work. Um, There's a lot of science fighting back against foam rolling, but... Even if it's a placebo effect where I get this and I go through the pain of going through a washout massage and then I am looser, I am less tense, my muscles feel better, I'm more flexible, I can go through ranges of motion easier, that's a win in my book. I don't care if it's placebo, I don't care if I had a dream that I was healed and I woke up and I felt better. If I feel better, I feel better and that's all that matters. Um, So it's hard to say for sure but I do believe that when they're scraping scraping down your tissue and they're breaking up those adhesions, I do believe it creates more flexibility in the muscle and I do believe it, it does help. Grant Kale, what is your assessment of MCT oil? Aside from counting it as a fat macro, do you think the benefits are being overblown? I do think they are being overblown. I think the MCT oil is great. If you – so like MCT oil, the main benefit is is you're getting pretty much a um, – what's the right word? Not micronized but um, a very uh, – uh dosed I guess, like a very very specific source of triglycerides, right, so coconut oil is what mCT comes from, and both of them hold the fat triglycerides, which is converted in the kidneys or liver um, is a easily a readily fuel source compared to any other fat, right? So if you do omega-3s or you do saturated fat or all these other fats, they are not converted into energy as rapidly as triglycerides are, which makes triglycerides a very, very good nutrient for fat burning, for metabolism, so on and so forth. My issue with MCT oil is, number one, why not just have coconut oil? Coconut oil has a ton of nutrients, a ton of micronutrients, a ton of uh, vitamins and minerals and things that you're going to get out of it that MCT oil won't have, Um, which is going to benefit you as well. Um, I also think it's very, very high-dosed. So you'll have a tablespoon, and you're getting tons of fat to add to your macros, which is great, but do you really need that much fat? It's just like bulletproof coffee. You're going to put that and butter in there. You do not need 56 grams of fat in a cup of coffee to burn more fat. You could have 5 to 10 grams of fat from MCT oil and be just fine, bro. You'll you'll get the benefit from the triglycerides. So I'm not a fan. I think it's hyped up. I think that it's one of those things where – like, you know, like uh, raspberry ketones or whatever were a supplement for a while. They found this one little thing, and they tried to blow it up. Or cayenne pepper, and now we got to have cayenne pepper on everything because it stimulates your metabolism. I think that it's hyped up, and I don't think it's purposeful, man. I think that – I think it's great. Like, if you – if you don't eat breakfast or you don't – if you can't – like, for example, if you can't eat whole eggs because you are you have an intolerance to it and you don't want to have three tablespoons of coconut oil because of the taste, then maybe you cook egg whites and then you do supplement with some MCT oil to get that triglyceride. Then I think it's great. But in most cases, I think it's kind of pointless and I would just rather go with some regular coconut oil. Shredded underscore kiwi underscore dad. Shredded kiwi dad from Instagram What's your advice on training and nutrition based on your somatotype? So somatotype is basically uh, ectomorph, mesomorph, and, uh, oh shit, I forgot that one. Endomorph, endomorph, ectomorph, and mesomorph. So basically, like, are you tall and lanky? Are you, uh, like, short and stocky fat? Or are you, um, like, an athlete? Which is, like, the mesomorph is the ideal one for everybody. Um, I mean, my advice on it, is my opinion on it, I guess I should say, is really just like, I I think it's, I don't think it's as important as most people think, because I know a lot of endomorphs that are naturally and genetically mesomorphs, for example, that's me, growing up, you would have looked at me and been like, oh, he's he's an endomorph, because he's a chubby kid, he's always been chubby, and then I got overweight, but if you look at my dad, you look at my brother, you look at my mom, you look at my family, they're all mesomorphs, they're all normal, lean individuals who have like an athletic build naturally, right, just naturally, I was just the oddball that ate too much shit or whatever. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened. But uh, but now you look at me and you go, oh, he's a mesomorph. I was actually having a conversation with somebody this weekend. They were like, oh, I just figured you were lean your whole entire life. So I think genetically I am a mesomorph, but I stepped out of that role for a period of time to become an endomorph, which was overweight, right? And now I'm back to being a mesomorph because I changed that. So I think that you're – because epigenetics are so uh, – I guess, is it pliable, the right word? But basically, you can change your your genetics to an extent, your epigenetics. Your, you can change your lifestyle. You can change your environment. You can change your body. But I think that, um, I think that, I think somatotypes are a little bit over overhyped as well, just like the MCTO. I don't think they're as important as people make them out to be. I think that you can change those things, and I don't think they're set in stone, right? I think that, they are a good – now, I would say they are a good estimate of from the jump what kind of macro ratio you can handle for nutrition, right? So if I have an, uh, an endomorph who is clearly born and raised and continues to be an endomorph, I might look at him and go, okay, we are probably going to go on a lower-carb approach because you're probably insulin resistant. So right now, you're probably going to u- utilize fats and proteins – better as a a higher percentage of your diet, and once you get lean, you'll probably become either, if you're really tall, an ectomorph, or if you're shorter, a mesomorph, and at that point, we can introduce carbs, because your carb tolerance will be better, your insulin sensitivity will improve, and you won't be resistant anymore, so... I think it depends because it can give me that in. And same thing with the ectomorph, right? I just signed up a new client recently who's an ectomorph and we're working on building muscle. And for him, I have me eating carbs in every single meal because he is an ectomorph naturally. He needs calories. He needs that insulin. He needs carbohydrates constantly being pushed into the system. So it really, really depends. I think it can be a guiding tool for the jump, like right when you get started, but I don't think it's the end all be all. Um, and as far as training goes, I don't think it plays a role almost at all. The only time it ever plays a role is if you're, well, and this would play a role with any of those somatotypes, um, but if you're super tall, so I was going to say ectomorph because typically ectomorphs are tall and skinny, but if you're super, super tall, that changes your levers, and that might change my exercise selection a little bit as far as how you're pressing, how you're, like, the equipment you're using, how you're squatting, um, high bar, low bar, things like that, but to be honest with you, I don't think it changes enough to really even worry about it, like, it's not that big of a deal, and I don't think it's really... Um, I don't think it's a game changer. I think the somato type things was like a big hype um, that just gave people reasons to market a certain way. Again, just like the MC2, how can we are, are, uh, market this to, to be something more than it is so people will buy into it? All right, last question of the day from Facebook. Abby Owen Bell. If a particular muscle or body part is sore from a previous workout, is there anything that should be done to take precaution in the following workouts, or should you just continue with the regular plan and focus on stretching? It kind of sounds like a dumb question, but it came to mind recently, and I was wondering if you what you had to say about it. So I think it depends on the muscle. Um, if you're super, super sore, I do not suggest going into the gym and stretching before because, as we know, stretching prior to strength training will reduce strength 25 to 35%. Being sore is probably going to reduce strength a little bit because your muscles are already taxed out. So adding to that is not going to help you whatsoever, maybe afterwards, what I would do is I would foam roll in this case just a little bit, just from a neurological standpoint. You're not going to fix your soreness by foam rolling, but what, what you will do is you'll calm your nervous system down to release some of that tension temporarily. So when you go back into that training session, you do feel a little bit looser, maybe a little bit less painful soreness. Um, and you'll have a better range of motion, a better skill of going into the movement patterns. Um, the other thing I would do is I would make sure your pre-workout nutrition is on point. Um, if you're super sore going into a training session, I would probably – I would suggest training later in the day. So maybe you have you know two to three meals prior to the training session with carbs, with protein, with some anti-inflammatory foods and tons of water. So maybe drink at least two liters of water that day before training. Seems like a lot. But if you can knock that down, I mean that's that's a game changer for soreness. Um, I wouldn't skip the workout though and I would just maybe change variations or change, change the load. Like if my hamstrings are dead – And I go into the gym and I have a a a barbell RDL with a five second negative. I'm probably going to take out the negative and not really worry about the load as much. Um, Like I might still go kind of heavy. I'm not going to be too focused on progressing, but I'm not like strength is pretty neurological, so I'm not too worried about that. But what I am worried about is long time under tension. So if my my hamstrings are just killing me, the last thing I'm going to do is do a five second loaded negative on an rdl to really stretch and emphasize that stretch with a load which is only going to add to that fatigue because as we know hypertrophy is the most like muscle breakdown quote unquote um, type of training you can do so i probably would just watch the tempos watch the form things like that um and avoid overdoing anything right so like for example i got off the plane um And this isn't really muscular soreness, but you can apply the same strategy. I I got off the plane and I know I was a little fatigued just from traveling and stuff. And I had six sets of six military press on Monday. I did not do six sets of six, right? I did four sets of six to eight at a lighter load with a longer negative because I was taxed. I, I couldn't handle as much volume as I normally can. So maybe you just lower, like, I wouldn't, I would never skip. And you don't need to switch what body part you're working because you're sore. You can still train while you're sore. But you're probably going to want to deload a little bit so you can handle that volume better time around next week. I actually do think that training while sore is actually somewhat beneficial because you will be bringing more blood flow into the muscle. You bring more oxygen, more fluids, whatever it may be. You're going to speed up recovery rather than just being still and not doing shit about it. But you do got to be careful. You probably should deload a little bit. You should foam roll a little bit before, uh, very specifically to that muscle group to make sure that your nervous system calms down and just allows that muscle group to become more flexible and a little bit more loose. Um, and then just go from there. Like I don't think I don't think it's something you need to overcomplicate. Um, but it's definitely something that you should be cautious about and something that you should um, consider just taking it a little bit easier on. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to mastering your diet it's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories your macros your meal timing your supplements your micronutrients literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book not just to get your results but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way The next thing is going to be functional muscle which is my first and right now my biggest product out there this is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients so whether your goal is strength fat loss or muscle gain you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, and that is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes chart. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys. And I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.